Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham, Scott alongside. As always, hello, Scott. Hello, Sean. Good day. How uh how goes it? How goes the battle today? Going pretty well. I actually was in this session thing. I don't know what the right word would be, but uh we had one of the Canadian women Olympic gold medal soccer players come and talk to us. Ooh, very nice. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah, about motivating you to be the best you can be. Yeah, uh, that was part of it. And one of the things she mentioned was sometimes you have to change, go to a different place. You know, if what's uh, where you are isn't working for you, and it's okay to to move. And I thought that's good because I'm planning on a professional change soon. So <laughs> that was good to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice to know that. Uh... Change is good, and it is always good. One place that things aren't changing, Sean, is at the top of the podium for the Canadian Senior Women's Championship. Very true, Scott. It is Sherry Anderson's world, and we are all just living in it. She has won her fifth consecutive Women's Senior Championship here in Canada. An amazing achievement for Sherry Anderson and her team. Scott, I think this is the best curling story currently going shout out to brent lang for his call on this i don't know if you saw it but on the last rock he said the streak will end but it won't end today and sherry anderson makes her shot to beat team quebec in the final scott i kind of joked last week or two weeks ago that it was cute that other women's teams were showing up that they were going to thought they might have a chance to win but this is incredible that Sherry Anderson has pulled off five consecutive Canadian championships. It's, it's like very incredible. There's, I don't, I don't know that there's any precedent for something like this. Uh, She's not only playing seniors, she's playing in women's as well. And just really, really, really good curling. She's locked in every time she knows what the strengths of her team is. And they just seem to show up every time. Yeah. Scott, Fun little stat, there are, of the women's only disciplines that have a world championship, there have been two teams that have won Canadian championships since 2018. Yeah, that's that's incredible, right? Of course, Sherry Anderson and uh, uh, Carrie Anderson. So, yeah, uh, for some dominance, I would say, at the top of Canadian women's curling in the last few years. You mentioned there's no real precedent for this. There have been some women's teams that have won four straight national championships at the women's level. Of course, you had the Furby four in a row, uh, his run. We've seen great runs where teams have won multiples, but not necessarily back to back. You know, Jennifer Jones has won six, right? But mm-hmm. I, never more than I think she won three in a row. You know, Kelly Scott had back to backs a few yeah. years ago. If you go all the way back to like Vera Pezzer, uh, her three or four straight, uh, I believe, sorry, three straight. So Scott, I, I don't really know. It, can we put this into any sort of contexts of five straight? I mean, 
I, I the only thing that jumps to mind is Swiss women's curling in, in the 2010s, and of course that was different teams representing one country having won uh, a bunch of women's championships. But uh, for the one one player to win five things in a row, it, it's I, there's nothing that jumps to mind, Sean. No, it's pretty crazy and pretty incredible and uh, sherry anderson will be going back to the world yeah. championship uh, once again and I, I don't know here's the other thing too out of in seniors she has to win saskatchewan again which this year i recall the final in saskatchewan being a one or two point game like it's not a given that she can get out of saskatchewan again because there's lots of good teams there mm-hmm. so part of me wants her to just drop the broom and be like <laughs> You know what? You can't be kind of do what Tyler Tardy did in a sense. Like, this isn't really competitive for me anymore. I'm done with you people. Yeah. And uh, just do that because <laughs> it's so much fun to to see her on this run. Yeah. And uh, I think you, Sean, asked her one once at an event, you know, when do you start thinking about hanging it up? And she sort of looked at you like, I'm having too much fun. Yeah. Right. And as long as you're having fun, keep going. And if you're having fun, and winning, that's sort of some extra fun added to it. Yeah, I asked her that question in 2012. <laughs> so, you know, wow. over five years before she went on a five-year run of Canadian championships, I asked her when she might want to yeah. give it up. Uh, that's a poor poor job by me in the media area. You, uh, Sean, do you still have that sound clip? Maybe just drop it in, uh, drop <laughs> yeah, it in should. right here. Yeah. I'll see if I can find that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, congratulations to Sherry Anderson. A wonderful story. Uh, very exciting for them on the men's side, Howard Rahala, his team out of the Rito curling club here in Ottawa. I was actually at the Rito curling club on Sunday. Uh, so they get the victory on the men's side. Congratulations to them. So it'll be teams Rahala and Anderson competing at the senior world championships uh, coming up next year yeah they're going to be in uh south korea sean nice so it should be a fun trip for those teams yeah and in the past they've been mixed with whether the wheelchair world championships or the university championships there's always they've mixed up the seniors with another event to make it like this cool Mm -hmm. festival atmosphere and from all accounts it goes really well so uh i'm assuming they'll do that again and uh should be a good time and you know that's a pretty good prize going to south korea yeah nothing to uh nothing to sneeze at for sure it's pretty good so again congratulations to them the other big event over the weekend was the grand slam that was held in oakville Ontario, let's talk about the women's side first here. An all-Canadian final. Carrie Anderson defeats Rachel Holman 6-5 in the final. Scott, uh, did you watch much of this game? So the final I didn't watch. Uh, I didn't watch much of. Uh, I was out uh, availing myself of the nice winter weather we had and going for a snowy walk. Uh, in the morning, but uh, I, I watched some of the men's game, which I guess we'll talk about in a bit. So why don't you explain to me how the game went? It was a really good game, I felt. Uh, T. Anderson starts with the hammer, gets a two, then gets a force. 
in the second end, then we have a blank. And to me, the fourth end is kind of where there was this turnaround of, in my head, at least. So, and I haven't really paid attention to what the chatter has been because I don't much care. But there has been some people who have wondered about Team Homan so far and how the new mix is going. And you, you got a sense this week, or not this week, in that game that communication-wise, they're not where they are going to want to be and that they're mm-hmm. going to have to keep betting better. I, I don't think it was bad by any means, but there were just a couple little things. Like at one point, they called a timeout and had the discussion. Ryan Fry comes out, and then Rachel goes to the hack, and you hear one of them say, so what are we doing? Uh, which is not what you want mm. coming out of the the timeout when the person's going to the hack, right? So it's, it's little things in terms of how they're going to communicate. Mm-hmm. And in the fourth end, Rachel on her uh, last one, I believe she misses. I, I can't remember this, the, exactly how she misses, but she doesn't get exactly what she wants. And there's a situation where Team Homan then is sitting two. They, I think they could have been sitting three and Rachel rolled out or something. So they're sitting two and Team Anderson is the third shot rock. And the stones are basically at two o'clock in the 12 foot and just to the left of what 12 o'clock would be in the forefoot. So it's a long double. Rachel just made a double. That's what it was. She'd made a double and rolled out or something. And Mm. I'm sitting there thinking, if you're Carrie Anderson, you might have a long double back to score two. And she never looked at it. And part of me Mm. was thinking, is she looking at this team home and saying, Okay, obviously they're still really good. They're in the final. They've already won a Grand Slam this year. But mm-hmm. am I just that much more finely tuned than they are right now? Uh, therefore, I don't need to take this chance. Or did she just think, and, and this is something that I've wondered over the last year, has it gone too far in the the sense of you're giving your opponents too much respect? Where you're saying, Ooh, like a single here. I'm up two. We just scored an even end. I don't want to let them score in an even end because, like, you're you're Carrie F. Anderson. You can make the shot. Like, every team is like, oh, they can make this. They can do this. They can do this. You know who else can do all these really cool things? People who make it to finals of Grand Slams. Like, you're nice. really good. Yeah. Why don't ever, why don't any of these teams? It never seems to me they're like, oh, we can do that. We're really good. Like, they're always like, oh, the, the other team's really good, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Nice to be complimentary of your opponent, but you're effing good too. Make the t- like, just try the shot. Maybe that's something with uh, to do with like the culture associated with curling and sort of the the niceness associated, right? Oh, uh, we don't want to offend anybody. Maybe that's a bit Canadian too. Don't sort of brag about how good we are at, at anything. Uh, so maybe that's uh, the reason for it. But you're right. I think if we had teams that were like that, and I think at times like Brendan Botcher can be like that, like, oh, I'll just make this. And that, <laughs> in my opinion, has has sort of come across to the curling world as this guy's a bit of a robot. Like, it doesn't like resonate with the people that are watching. I think that's true. There, There's this idea that we want everyone to be humble and all that. But and maybe Botcher's mm-hmm. the perfect person to do it. He kind of had that semi-heel turn last year, at least in, in some people's mind. Let's lean into mm-hmm. it. Go full. Uh, what, what's the guy's name in Men with Brooms? The the international character. 
uh, whatever his oh, name yeah. is. Go full, go full that guy and just lean into it. Because th- there are times where I-, I feel like the respect given to the other team is a little too much. And I'm not saying that was the case there because they didn't really talk about it. Like Carrie put the broom down. It was clear. We're going to hit for the one. And I was sitting at home thinking, did you see? Did you see that? Like, mm. like you could probably make that. You're really, really good. Uh, but right. Yeah. She didn't. And uh, so, so it just occurred to me in that moment. Uh, so she goes up three and then the next mm. end or goes up two, three to one. And then the next end gives up a three and, and sort of the game like goes gets a little out of control not out of control for her but she loses control of the game in that moment Mm -hmm. so that that's just something i thought about like you know when when you have the chance there to metaphorically put your foot on their neck a little bit uh just go for it and and try to win the game there doesn't happen uh gives up a three scores two and then in the seventh you saw a little bit of that fine-tuning that team homan is still working on later in the mm-hmm. end where Rachel and Tracy Flurry, I don't think necessarily agreed on what to do, whether it was a appeal and Emma Miskew was involved in this. And I think at one point mm-hmm. Rachel says, well, if we do that, we're getting forced. And I think it was Emma Miskew says, Oh no, we could probably, there'll probably be a double later and this like, so again, it's just the little things, right? Those are, those are fringe mm-hmm. things that at this level could make the difference here and there. So, They'll, they'll get there. I'm confident of that. They eventually do blank seven, get the one in eight. The ninth end was, I thought, relatively straightforward for an extra. And Carrie Anderson ends up drawing for the, or excuse me, a double, a run back double for the win. Did you find, so you found it was like a pretty straightforward 10th end or ninth end rather extra. Mm-hmm. Uh, were they Were they employing the tick shot or is that not allowed still? No, no ticks allowed. There you go. So it was straightforward, even without without the tick. Yeah, it, the end result was Team Homan had two in the rings, one in the forefoot. Uh, without the tick, I think you get you're more likely to have one in the forefoot as okay. opposed to stuff out front. I, I think that is the ultimate result of it because with ticks, stuff ends up being you're you're trying to hide behind stuff that is essentially a corner guard, so you end up like eight foot, maybe touching the forefoot. This is more forefoot. Mm-hmm. Rachel's last one might have come a foot or two deeper than they wanted. She was uh, sort of in the eight foot. They probably wanted just in the 12 foot. And uh, so the mm-hmm. run back was a little easier for Carrie, but it was just an off nose double for Carrie. So relatively straightforward with the no tick, probably just a little closer to center line than you would have seen otherwise. Okay. Okay. If we're talking about teams needing to, uh, feel that they're also very good. We could look at the men's final and Joel return just making shots yesterday. Yeah, that was an impressive performance. Uh, team return gets their first grand slam victory. First Italian team to stand at the top of a grand slam podium. Although I don't think they actually set up podiums at the slams, but the first ones to lift that trophy as they beat Bruce mm-hmm. Mowat six to two in the final they get forced in the first end in an end where Mount was kind of in control of that end and return as we mm-hmm. talked a couple of weeks ago about how it's better to be the one leading the end, essentially like being in charge and making the other team respond to what you're doing. That's what was happening in the first end that return has had to respond to a lot of what team Matt was doing. And then mm-hmm. the game flipped on a dime. 
and mm-hmm. team rates are now steals the next three ends. Now it needs a pistol in the fifth to score two, a force in six steal. And that's going to be your handshakes. Uh, Scott, you saw more of this game than I did. I watched the re air at eight 30 mm-hmm. or whenever it came on. And I watched the first few ends and I'd seen a highlight of the shot in the fifth. Then I felt, all right, that's, that's enough after the first half of the game. Cause I knew the results and I felt I got right. a pretty good sense of where the game was. Yeah, it just seemed that Joel was putting his rocks in the exact right place. Like, uh, you, you can talk sometimes about, okay, if we're in the general area, it's pretty good. And they had that discussion. Okay, we need to put something here. But it would just come and like curl to the exact right corner of, of a rock they were freezing to. Or just plug a hole exactly how they needed to and Bruce Mowat was chasing the whole time and we talked about that last week like you say you don't want to be the team that's chasing but there was like nothing that he could do it seemed like from from the start of the end he was chasing so very good pressure put on by the Italian team and you know they just uh, out curled Scotland uh, yesterday which is not something that you often hear about uh, Bruce Mowat. No, very rare is the the day where he gets outplayed. I, I don't know, Scott. I think it's still good for them that they had a nice result here. They, they had a slow start to the season, obviously the injury issue, and a nice mm-hmm. result here for what I believe is their last big event before the new year. So it's, uh, they can go into that uh, Scottish Championship probably than the world championship feeling pretty good. There is another grand slam, of course, in January. So good, good job by them keeping that momentum that they got from the euros moving into mm-hmm. now the new year. Yeah. You mentioned uh, the hand injury. It was Bobby Lammy, right? Uh, with a broken hand uh, yeah. early in the season. So uh, really hindering their ability to uh, use the sweeping, which is very important with what they do. Uh, playing the exact right weights and using the sweeping to really uh, maximize the effectiveness of each shot. So tough one uh, at the beginning of the season, but looks like uh, they're coming into form. Sometimes I think I'm a good sweeper and then I watch them and uh, I, I don't think that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're good for the club, Sean. Uh, so, good for the club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So elsewhere on the men's side, there was a lot of, attention paid to the fact that only two men's teams from Canada made the playoffs at this event. And those were Botcher and Gushu of uh, Dunstone made a tiebreaker, but at least in our official system, when we do picks tiebreakers don't count for playoffs, you got to get into the playoffs. So only two teams mm-hmm. into the playoffs, six international teams, Schwaller, return as Ramsfeld, Nicodine, Mowat and Ross white the six international teams into the playoffs here. And Scott, this led to a lot of discussion about the state of the international game. And somebody tweeted at the Grand Slam account and somebody else, and Team Mowat saw it. And the gist of the tweet was, why do we let non-Canadian teams in? One, I don't know who the we is in that sentence and two it's for the best teams in the world it's not the canada cup right that's a different event it's a different purpose to this event and 
it made me think, Scott, that, as you know, I'm a historian and uh, I'm going to be going back into a more history-based vocation soon, which I'm very excited about. Mm -hmm. So I Mm -hmm. thought, why not take a, a cursory look, an admittedly cursory look at the history of the world is catching up to Canada and curling. <laughs> All right. Because I feel like this narrative of the world is catching up is exhausted to the extreme. And I was curious mm-hmm. if I could find examples of this in the past to demonstrate that this narrative of the world is catching up is, at this point, nonsensical. So, fortunately, the internet is a wonderful thing, and I've been able to do that. Oh, boy. I'm excited. Uh, Sean didn't tell me about this before we started recording. He wanted my genuine uh, glee, so uh, you've got it. I'm excited. All right. So, first article that I found, this is from the CBC in 2002, it's the Men's World Championship in 2002. It's after the 2002 Olympics where Kevin Martin won a silver medal or the way the article kind of presents it, uh, Kevin Martin did not win the gold medal. <laughs> it's kind of mm-hmm. how it's being presented. And it's talking about Furby in this event and essentially what he's saying or or what the article is saying is that actually the title of the article is Furby out to make amends at curling worlds because he had not won the previous year. And this was of course Mm. unacceptable. He actually says he's quoted in the article. Second, isn't good enough. Wow. Okay. So this is their second event, their second worlds, right? Their, their second Canadian championship. And so the first one they didn't win, so they've they've got their big boy pants on to try and win the second one. And yeah. tell me, was the 2002 one in Canada or abroad? So this is in Bismarck, North Dakota, and they're talking about how the the crowd situation is going to be very low because the Scotties and the Briar were in Western Canada that year. The Olympic trials were in Regina and they didn't expect a lot of Canadians to come down. And even though the Salt Lake City Olympics did generate some interest in in curling, they were expecting some sparse crowds there in North Dakota. Ah, interesting. I, I think that, that strikes me as a place that a lot of Canadians would go to watch some curling. Although, you know, by the world championships, we're getting into April Got to get ready, uh, ready on the farm, all those kinds of things. So, all right. Yeah. All right. I get it. In this article, it also says, quote, the rest of the world is catching up so fast, in fact, that it gave Martin, Kevin Martin, pause at the Olympics. And then Randy Furby is quoted as saying, we know, and I think the world knows Canada has the best core group of curlers in the world by far but anybody can jump up and bite you. And that's why it's very difficult. Brendan Botcher could have said that going into the bubble and the bubble worlds in 2021. Agushu could yep. have said that going into the world championship last year. I think so. Yeah. Like if you look at the, the width of Canadian elite curling is wider than almost everywhere else. 
maybe you could say Swiss Switzerland for women's curling is maybe just as wide, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's a fair statement from 20 years ago. Yes. So let's move on then to Bob weeks, the following spring, April, 2003, again, talking about the world championships. This time, the article is entitled victory, no longer a sure thing for Canada. And it starts, the world championships are simply not what they used to be. And that is a wonderful thing. And these world championships were going to be held in Winnipeg or were held in Winnipeg. And Bob Weeks tells his readers that gone are the days when Canada could roll, stumble, or even luck its way into the title. If the Canadian teams didn't win, went the old adage, then the power must have gone out or someone must have kneecapped the front end. For far too long, the world championships were an afterthought to the Canadian final. You won the Briar, celebrated, and when you woke up a few weeks later, your hangover included a trip to the Worlds. I wonder why it's the front end that's only being kneecapped. Anyway, <laughs> continue, continue. Yeah. Uh, so later on, after he explains how many world championships Canadians have won, he says, quote, the world is catching up. Check that. The world has caught up. Not only are there teams from around the globe competing, but almost all of them have at least a semi-legitimate chance to win. This is from April of 2003. So why are we still talking about this then, right? Like, it's we, we figured it out 20 years ago. There you go. So 2006, Los Angeles Times. <laughs> this is talking about the United States and the boom that they are expecting at the recreational level for curling that in 2002 in Salt Lake city, a lot of the facilities weren't ready for the influx of people who came to want to try out the sport. So that's what this article is mm -hmm. about. It doesn't specifically reference Canada, but it does have a line about where they're curling in the United States. He knows uh, and this article says, quote, it's not curling's natural habitat. Think Scots, Scandinavians, and the places where they settled. That would include Canada. Uh, but the Americans' Olympic success might be changing that. Scott, the curling map is changing and include the United States. This is 2006. Wow. So that's uh, in reference to Pete Fenson winning the bronze medal? Or was it uh, yes. the women? Yeah. No, this is the the men. Yeah. 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 So, okay, they got a bronze medal uptick. All right, let's see yes. what's next. All right, so this now this article is from 2002, but I want to put this into context of that article that the Americans' Olympic success, Bob Weeks telling us in 2003 that you, you can't just show up and win. In 2002 mm -hmm. or 2022, Devin Haru wrote about the 2006 Olympics that, quote, the world was still trying to catch up to Canada when it came to curling during those Olympics. But Bob, but Bob Weeks told us three, three years earlier that the world had caught up. What's going on? I'm so confused. Yeah, I guess uh, Devin needed a historian to uh, help him research that. <laughs> I don't mean that to, like, criticize Devin Haru, but it's just I thought it was an interesting no, no, line no. in that article, you know. All right, uh, 2010 getting ready to go into those Olympic games, or excuse me, 2009, going into the men's world championship, which nothing uh, notable ever, ha nothing notable happened at the 2009 <laughs> world championship. We don't have to talk about it. <laughs> but oh boy. again, this is an article, Globe and Mail. 
the title of the article, the rest of the world catching up to Canada. Kevin Martin quoted, Canada is still doing fine, but gone are the days when we are able to keep winning without much effort. Again, this has now been within major national publications for eight years at this point or seven years at this point. Yeah. So, uh, okay. 2018 after Canada gets eliminated from the playoffs in Korea at the Olympics there Mm -hmm. after they, they lose, uh, the bronze medal game. Mark Kennedy is quoted as saying, this is the new normal for Canada. We have to get used to it. Following a line in which the author of the story in Time Magazine says, in curling, the world's catching up to Canada. 15 years after Bob Weeks declared that they had caught up. So, okay. Okay, so Bob Weeks said something, and then people were trying to get to the fact for another 15 years, trying to get back to that same thesis that he had, right? He he right. said that's what we've got, or the world's caught up, and now we're just yep. like rehashing that argument for... 15 years till now. What's next, Sean? So 2018 (laughs) from the Toronto Star, Dave Feschuk, his article, he has a whole big article about the world catching up to Canada, but his article is about how Canadian coaches are the ones responsible for that. So really Canada is still winning in a way. So it's, it's okay. And he starts by talking about Ray Turnbull and how Ray Turnbull would go around the world and, and talk about curling but he says that that mission was more about growing the sport. So he actually writes, if Turnbull was a globetrotting missionary, his successors are simple mercenaries. Contract coaches wow. hired by national sporting federations bent on finding success. Okay. Okay. That's, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. It, it is partially true that uh, sort of nascent curling nations like China in 2005 and uh, Korea after that would, would bring in, uh, Canadian coaches, but, uh, not, not anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's a rather interesting line in this article too, in which Feschuk writes, who's responsible for 2018's great Canadian curling crisis, check cashing Canadian turncoats. If that's how you'd like to frame it. <laughs> so Canadian turncoats. Wow. Oh boy. Yeah. So yeah, so now the world is catching up, but it's because of us, and that that makes it okay. Okay, okay. And then, 2022. You'll notice, Scott, there were no such articles written in 2014. Just saying. Yeah, uh, I wonder why. Wonder wonder what happened then. Curious. I couldn't find any from 2014. Uh, so 2022, Devin Haru's summary of the year, his year end, or no, excuse me, season end article in the spring of 2022. He wrote that, quote, the world has caught up and curling is no longer Canada's game to dominate. It's certainly no time to panic, but there is mounting pressure in this curling crazed nation to up its game during this current Olympic cycle. So 19 years after Bob Weeks wrote that the world is caught up, uh, the world has caught up again. Uh, but that's no need to panic, though. No need to panic. But now for sure, the world has caught up. 
We're no, we're no yes. doubt now. Yes. Okay. And then finally, <laughs> Christina oh, Rutherford last spring for Sportsnet in their big read that they have, which I don't know if they still do this. Scott, do they still do this on Sundays? Because it's really interesting. I, I, I love yeah, the I think big they do. read on Sundays. Yeah, I've read the big read. Like it. So she writes, quote, there's no need to sound alarm bells here. This country isn't getting worse at curling, and this isn't a national crisis, but it is a moment of reflection for Canadian curlers, a downturn in results that is sparking some very tough questions about the sport's identity. So hmm. with that, it, she goes on to talk about how Curling Canada is looking at changes to keep up with the rest of the world's elite players. So Scott, that is a brief overview of almost 20 years of the world is catching up to Canada. The world has caught up to Canada. Can we retire this for once and for all? The international teams are great. If you want to look at overall depth, if you want to line up the curlers from every country somewhere, I don't know where you'd have enough space to do this, but you line them all up. Yeah. Canada has greater depth, right? No question. If you take Mm -hmm. the top 20 teams in any country in the world and you play a series of games, Canada's going to win. Yes, that is still absolutely the case. But Mm -hmm. I never want to hear the world is catching up or the world has caught up. I I think that is so long established that it's not really worth talking about anymore. I I realize uh, I I just talked about it for 10 minutes. I I point at the (laughs) irony of that. (laughs) <laughs> well, but Sean, you're right. It's it, this is uh something that's long established. It's something that we've talked about on our show before. People glad-handing a bit about, "Oh no, like we we're not winning all the world championships." Well, like it's it's not your given right to win a world championship. The teams go out there and earn it, and the teams that are coming from other countries are pretty freaking good at curling. The response that Team Mowat had was uh, slams are for the top teams in the world. Sorry, there are so many of us outside North America. P.S. Scotland invented the sport. So, yeah, <laughs> I think we as ca- as Canadians take a lot of pride in our curling prowess, our nation's curling prowess. We on this show pay a lot of attention to the teams in Canada. We pay attention to the national championships because that's what's in front of us. It, it doesn't mean that there's not other things going on uh, in other parts of the world that are, I, I would say, just as or more impressive. But I, I think more impressive is, uh, is is probably true, given sort of the head start that Canada had when it comes to curling. So, yes, we can retire it. We'll never mention the world has caught up, uh, whatever. And if we do hear it somewhere, we'll take a shot for every time that uh, we see it pointed out in some other publication. Yeah, I think I'm going to start keeping a a running tab. So I'll I'll do up a quick blog post for the website, gameofstonespod.com, and I'll link to all these articles if you want to read them. And I'll also put a link to that in the show notes so you can get right to it. And every time I see a new one of that, I will update (laughs) that list. Uh, so if, nice. if this keeps happening, uh, this is going to be like whenever we hear gear 
on a, a TSN broadcast. This way it's going to be now. The world is catching up. Because, uh, yeah, it's just, just a fraction. Yeah, because you're absolutely right, Scott. Like the, I don't know, it's the second best national championship in terms of entertainment, the Korean women's right now. Uh, maybe the Swiss mm-hmm. women's and, and the Swiss men's pretty deep as well. But, you know, you're you're looking at those countries that in the past, yeah, it has been one team that you'd be like, all right, this is coming out or who's coming to a mm-hmm. world championship. You're starting to get doubt now in some countries where you're going to, you're going to see really good national championships. The Europeans are great. The packs were fun when they still had the pack. The pan continental was pretty cool uh, as a new event. We'll see how it, it plays out mm-hmm. in the, the years moving forward as some of the countries that probably weren't, I don't want to say shouldn't have been in the A pool, but didn't really have a chance against the the top teams. Didn't have a chance against Japan, Canada, the Americans, right? Uh, how how yeah. they uh, improve uh, with this event there? I mean, the, the sport is where it is. It's an international game at this point. Look at the numbers in Japan. There's a reason why Japan is going to be streamed every game they play at World Championships now because of the contract with mm-hmm. NHK because there's that much interest in it. And that's just where it is and that's a good thing you know it's, it's good yeah. for the sport it's good for all of us but from a narrative perspective in canada we have to come up with something new we just have to mm-hmm. yeah that's a good point we we can't keep saying the same thing over and over again for another 20 years it's done yes hopefully it is so with that uh anything else you wanted to talk about scott um, I guess like we could mention that we didn't have a successful game last night. Um, <laughs> tricky ice conditions, very, it was very dirty. Uh, so I, I, I didn't get a good read on the ice and, uh, missed uh, the wrong shots at the wrong time. So, uh, that's okay. Streaks are meant to be broken as you said, and, uh, we'll just start a new one next week. Try it. You know, Scott, uh, you're either hot or you're due, as they say. So uh, you keep mm-hmm. throwing them, and eventually you'll make them. Last week on the show, I talked about how I had not lost at the Ottawa Curling Club since opening night, uh, and that I'd only lost two games all season to that point. Since I uttered those words, I have lost three games at a combined 25 to 6. <laughs> oh, Sean, you, you jinxed us. I did, and my apologies to the t- team I spared with last Wednesday and uh, Glenn and the guys on Thursday. Oh, but dear. upside, saved a couple bucks. <laughs> that is true. Uh, that is true. I did not save any bucks last night because... Ugh, sad. Well, it's because I had lost so many games in a row that uh, and then I was out with our, our buddy Dean on, on Saturday and I was at the club, uh, at the Rito club on Sunday. Yeah, it just gets to a point where you just got to take a night off, take a break. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh, no, I don't have anything else, Sean. We'll, uh, talk a bit about what we're going to do next week. Uh, some fun stuff and, uh, we'll have a best of show for the end of the year. Yeah, so two weeks left before the end of the year. We will come back next week with a new one, and then I'll, I'll piece together a best of episode. If you have any things that you liked over the course of the year, like any little clips, things that might stand out to you, let us know, and I'll clip them mm-hmm. 
a timestamp would be great, but even if you just let me know the episode, I, I can pull it. Uh, so if there's anything specific that you want us to put into that, let me know and uh, I'll cut that in and I'll go through and, and put together a best of for the end of the year. And like Scott says, we'll be back with you next week with another new episode. So if you want to hear that and you have not subscribed yet, please do wherever you get your podcast, do the likes, ratings, comments, all that good stuff helps other people find the show, keeps us growing. Head on over to gameofstonespod.com. As I said, in the show notes, little blog post with links to all those articles that I mentioned in my little summary of the history of the world is catching up. You can also find all of our past episodes there, plus a link to the merch, hoodies, toques, t-shirts, all there, proceeds to the Sandra Schmirler Foundation and Food Banks Canada. We, of course, match those. And you can follow along with everything else we got going on at Game of Stones Pod on Twitter and Instagram, Game of Stones Podcast on Facebook, and you can let us know what you might want to hear on the show, Game of Stones Podcast at Gmail. Dot com. So Scott, last week you promised that we would not have a not white Christmas here in the nation's capital. And we had a few centimeters of snow over the weekend. Apparently a big blast coming in, not only for us here in the nation's capital, but I'm hearing all the way west to, to Manitoba and it's going to work its way to us and then into Quebec, there's some sort of giant system that's going to be rolling across the country in the next few days. Yeah, there's a big one coming. Uh, I sort of saw this last week. That was what I was referring to when I thought that we would have a a white Christmas. I also, Sean, uh, received an internal email from Environment Canada. Don't tell anyone that I'm telling you this, Uh, but it was the percent chances of a white Christmas and a white Christmas being defined as two centimeters of snow on the ground or more Ottawa 100% chance. So wow, I was pretty prescient last week. Yeah. Good job by you. Also a funny Vancouver, uh, 70% chance. So all their snow hasn't melted yet. I guess who knows? I guess 70% chance means a 30% chance of not. So there you go. That's uh, that's how math works, Scott. Good job by you. So I uh, hope everybody's Smart. doing well out there. We will be back with you again next week. But until then, keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final...